0: I'm Sarah Johnson, curator at Newcastle Art Gallery, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here today as part of this year's Writers' Festival to this in-conversation session with journalist arts editor of the Australian and writer Ashley Wilson to discuss his recently published book. Here's one I prepared earlier. Art Life. Brett Whiteley, Art Life and the Other Thing. Um, Now, you can actually um, also... um, If you're into Twitter and Instagram and all that, um, post to the festival's um, relative social media pages if that's your thing during the session today. Um, I'd like to firstly acknowledge the traditional traditional owners of the land upon which we are meeting today, the Awabakal and Waramai Waramai peoples, and acknowledge their elders, past and present. Uh, Could you please welcome Ashley Wilson? Ashley's been the arts editor at The Australian since 2011 and he's been at the paper for more than 15 years in various roles around the country, including several years as Darwin correspondent. In 2006, he and Nicholas Rothwell won a Walkley Award for coverage of Indigenous affairs. In 2013, he signed a contract with Text Publishing to write a biography of Brett Whiteley, which we're discussing today. So, thank you, Ashley, very much for joining us. Thank you. Well, Ashley, congratulations. It's a fantastic book. It's a wonderful read. It's brilliantly researched. It's beautifully designed and a really fresh perspective on a well-documented subject. In that instance, why then did you want to do another book on Brett Whiteley when there have been so many published in recent years?
1: Well, hi everyone. Um, There have been lots of things written about Brett over the years, books and magazine stories and newspaper stories and um, and there hasn't actually been a book like this, and of course I would say that, but um, a a conventional classical A to Z biography um, that really looks at his life and his work from a um, dispassionate point of view and tries to make sense of everything and doesn't try to necessarily push an agenda or prosecute a case about his genius or otherwise but to just say what he did and who he was um, and until this point i was very fortunate until this point um, no one had, had access to sort of the wealth of material as well that was um, around his life um, so there's uh, obviously all the people that he got some. That he knew over the years and I, I was lucky enough to go and um to see a lot of them and um once i had wendy whiteley's um, blessing as it were um brett's former wife that kind of opened up a lot of doors people were willing to talk to me and uh you know i'm not gonna lie some of it was quite exciting like the dire straits guys overseas and billy Connolly, and you know his celebrity friends uh but then then you get the more sort of dingy drug guys in um back streets and um but then in addition to that you have the notebooks um throughout brett's life he was always working never never really took holidays and just kind of keeps back he was always sketching and doodling and writing something uh, and these notebooks there's about 30 of them um they're currently either at somewhere between lavender bay where wendy lives and they used to live and the art gallery in new south wales where they've being digitized and they're full of this amazing material sort of um on the one hand, kind of everyday stuff, like phone numbers and messages to himself. On the other hand, the kind of sketches or full illustrations, photographs taken out of magazines, sometimes porn, you know. Um, uh, There's, he's, Brett's trying out snappy sayings um, and he writes them in these notebooks just to see how they work. Um, So I was fortunate to have access to all of those. And then, in addition to that, the letters um, between him and Wendy Um, in the early years of their courting and in the later years when it was really violently separating um, and letters from other people in in their world. So um, in answer to why another book, it it feels to me that this is, um, if I can say this, sort of stands alone in that sense. Um, And, yeah.
0: I think it does very much so because if you think about the previous books and they're all meritorious and valid in their own way but they don't go into the depth, I think, uh, that this does. Um, you didn't know Brett. Um, in fact, I think we were talking the other day, we were both still in high school when he <laughs> passed away. Um, so what role did not knowing who he was and objectivity have in in writing the book?
1: Yeah, so I, I was born in 1978, and so by then he'd won his first Archibald Um And so I'm not obviously pretending to have any direct knowledge of Brett. Of course, I have direct knowledge of some of the people in his world, Wendy and his friends. Um, But from all accounts, Brett had this kind of amazing magnetism and um, blinding charm and light that that, um, came from his his presence. And my impression is that it was kind of almost a blinding charm and um, being able to, to not being able to approach this subject without his his without him standing over you and um, really kind of impressing upon you his opinion on his own life um, gives you a kind of um, a sense of freedom that you wouldn't necessarily have um, because th- this isn't a book for Brett. This isn't a book that I would have that, that he would necessarily like to have been written about himself. Maybe he would. Who knows? But it's not really my purpose is my purpose is not to write a book for Brett or for Wendy or you know for the Whiteley world it's to to sort of write write the, as, as close to what actually happened and um one of my models when writing the book was uh there's a biography written of Matisse by Hilary Sperling it's a two-volume thing uh it's a classic and while I wouldn't compare myself to Hillary and Brett probably would to Matisse um it was a Hilary never knew Matisse, of course, and so she was really dealing with the documentary um, material that at hand. And so all the letters and just uh, everything that a biographer has all the material that you can bring together. Um, and that's really what I was doing and combining that with firsthand recollections. And um, I didn't feel that it was a negative to not know Brett. And for those reasons, I thought it was a positive.
0: So, in terms of the process of writing then, how, how do you start?
1: Ah, well, it's the first book I've written, so I don't know if it was the right way. Um, <laughs> but, look, I, I'd never written a biography before, or a book before, so I, um, and I don't consider myself an art expert, um, so I figured I'd just do two things at one time, which was to educate myself about prep, which is just to read everything possible I could get my hands on. Um, but then try to get as many books about artists that he liked, um, which in turn... So it, it kind of educated me about the artists that he liked and also taught me how to read a biography. And um, So it was basically just to gather everything um, and worry about putting it together and how to do that later.
0: And did this approach... Uh, was it similar or different to your day-to-day journalistic writing? I mean, you're working to really short deadlines with The Australian. Are there similarities or differences in the mode of writing that you were doing here?
1: Well, obviously the main difference is the the deadline. Um, you don't have that daily thing. Um, and that's the, the great um, privilege that you have in writing a book like this, that you can really s- sit back and um, take the time to burrow into these issues. And I, I can't count the number of times I spent... Weeks chasing down a particular detail that was so small and most people would not notice. Um, and I, I spent there was there was a sorry that was me. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one um, oh yes we, we we corresponded years ago and I was um, chasing some information from the gallery here. Um, and the, when when in nineteen um, in late 1959 early 1960 Brett moved to Europe and found himself in London. And we'll probably come to this, but he um, very quickly he was he was 22 years old um, established himself in the um, British art scene, and he was included in a um, a group show of Australian artists at the Whitechapel Gallery, and um, this is the peak of the um, interest in Australian art in London at the time. And Brett was a late entrant. He was a he was painting abstractions at the time, and. Um, he really floored everyone. Um, Barry Humphreys was walking around and he was walking with um, Roy DeMaste, who then was something of a senior artist in in, in Britain, especially among the Australians. And Barry said to Roy, what do you think of all these artists? And these are the who's who of Mm. Australian art. And Roy said, Brett Whiteley there, that's the one who will last. Um, As a result of that show, Brett was, um, his work was bought by the Tate. um, And that made him the youngest ever artist to have worked by the tape um, now that fact I just said that it make him the youngest ever artist. Um, someone asked me once is that true and I thought Oof, I don't know um, as in it's one of those things that everyone has always said mm. and one of the challenges I sent myself in this book was to 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 test all of that stuff um, and you have a story that's told and told and told over the years um, half-truths become very firm truths and um, so I thought is this true um, and I spent one really boring long weekend with these volumes um, of books from the Tate. The Tate themselves didn't know. Um, and I had to go through all of the acquisitions um, from whenever the Tate began, at late 1800s to 1970, um, comparing the date of acquisition and the birth and blah, blah, blah. Long story short... The, it was correct. Um, so I spent a weekend <laughs> proving something that everyone thought anyway. Um, but that's the fun.
0: Yeah, well, it, well, that was part of um, our uh, contact initially around 2013-14 because Ashley had approached me and said, look, I understand that Newcastle Art Gallery was the very first public gallery in Australia that purchased a Brett Wiley. Yes, that is true. So what um, I did, I did what Ashley... Um, had to do at the Tate and that's go through tomes and tomes and tomes of um, acquisitions registers. Now these days we're in the 21st century so we have a very sophisticated collection management system but back in the day there are these books and these books are way a ton and they're thank goodness hand typed but they're really rich in provenance or your family history. So I could actually tell Ashley how much... Um, it was paid was paid for it. So twenty six guineas or pounds. Or, yeah,
1: yeah. It was, it was, so, and that detail got in. It was very helpful
0: from Rudy Kumon Gallery, actually. Yes. So it's it's beautiful to be able to present that on a silver platter and say, "Here you go." <laughs> That's very great information. So that was that was our contact in terms of um, the the seeds of the knowing that the book was being produced, and it was very exciting. Um, we'd had some contact of, with Wendy and I remember speaking to her um, when the book was in production and she said, oh, there's another book um, in the pipeline at the moment. And I said, oh, what do you think? And she said, oh, this one's different. So it was really good to know that there was another book really pushing pushing scholarship and pushing research for, for Brett's story. So in terms of the writing mode, like a biography is lineal, but your research was happening... What, Kind of spontaneously or continuously in lots of different areas. You sort of, you've got lines of inquiry out everywhere and getting stuff back. So how do you process all of that in a, in a fashion where? Because you've produced this book in a really quick um, period of time. Actually, sometimes these books take twenty years for some writers.
1: Well, it was five years, and that felt like a long time. Um, I don't know how people do these things for twenty years. You go crazy. Um, although you really have to draw a line at some point because i'm still meeting people who knew brett that i'd never heard of and i'm still hearing stories that i would never heard of and just the other day i was talking to wendy and she um, was with a group of people and she was telling them a story and i was the first time i'd heard her what are you doing why didn't you tell me this before um and in terms of the, the method though the mode and uh i mean the not especially interesting how, how I put it together and how I approach it, I don't think. But early on, David Meyer gave me advice, which was to do with a timeline. Um, and his very fine Patrick White book, um, this is how he approached it. He had one of those old um, drawers of, uh, like those old library um, you know, flip cards. And uh, he, he arranged his information by time. And I did that as well bit more sort of technologically sophisticated, I guess I did on a computer. And so I had, this one document on my computer, a timeline of Brett's life. And every little bit of, everything with a date um, was just amazing to find. So a letter, a passport entry, a newspaper story, uh, a, a, an artwork, um, everything with a date, I put into this timeline. And eventually it got to 80, 90 pages long. Um, and... I never end up publishing that timeline. Maybe I should, but um, it, it, once you put all those events together and things together, it really kind of illuminates what he's up to. And just to give one example, right at the very end of his life, um, I mentioned the Whitechapel Gallery, uh, which was his, his, uh, his first real success in London uh, and on the world stage. The director of the Whitechapel was a guy called Brian Robertson, who was a great champion of Australian art and Brett in particular and he got to know the whiteleys brett and wendy and brett's mother beryl otherwise known as ning and um, in 1992 beryl stepped out for dinner in the middle of the year in almost um, summer in london stepped out for dinner with brian Robertson. that same day or a couple of hours later across the other side of the world um, brett was checking into the thorough beach motel down in south coast of new south wales and he never checked out. Um, now, that, was, that little combination of facts is just a, co- a consequence of doing the timeline and looking at the, the two together. And thought, oh, that's quite nice. So um, that was the best resource I had, just to look at time and to organize things that way.
0: So it looks like you've, you can also um, fill in the gaps that other books haven't gone to before. We, we spoke the other day and you talked about something you discovered with the Harkness Scholarship, which was the scholarship that Brett won to go to New York.
1: And yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff I gathered was just was there waiting to be found as well. Um, Brett won, a, as you said, a Harkness Scholarship, which took him from London to New York. Um, and a lot of other Australians had the same honour. Um, Peter Sculthorpe among them and but brett and wendy went from from london found themselves at the chelsea not by accident they were very keen to mm-hmm. to get to write themselves into that sort of bohemian um, story and i thought well i assume that brett applied to the harkness people and he did of course and but it was in writing and whoever the i think it's the, called the commonwealth fund um they still exist, so I, the Harkness itself has changed focus a little. But they all—they have their records, and they were happy to send me um, Brett's original um, application, which is this four or five-page um, piece of writing, very dreamy and idealistic about wanting to, um, to to use his art to to change the world and change America, and um, and he had a picture of him and Archie his daughter, and uh, it was a great living document, which Wendy had never seen since the time as well.
0: Wow. Um, the American period, personally, I find one of the most interesting in Brett's career, um, and it has been documented before, but I think you give it more nuance and, and and substance as well because, you know, they're going to New York. It's the hotbed of culture, of popular culture. It, it's complete zeitgeist, you know, times a thousand. And yet it was a period of unmitigated failure. And I think that's really interesting. What did you discover about that period of uh, of Brett's career?
1: I think when we talk about Brett Whiteley now, we talk about an Australian artist whose reputation is more or less confined to this country. There there are collectors overseas who are great fans of his. Um, To name drop again, the Dire Straits guys in in particular are huge fans of his his work. But if there was a time that his reputation was going to be global, it was around this time when he went to America. It was 1967. He'd spent seven years in Europe and he was, as we've touched on, very successful in in England. Um, He had the acquisition by the Tate. He was showing in group shows at the Whitechapel as one of the leading stars of British art. He was obviously considered a, a Brit um uh, so it was him and david hockney and bridget riley and those guys and th- they were all seen as part of the same um i guess the old version of the young british artists and from sydney london and paris looked like the center of the world the artistic world from london in the mid to late 60s new york that's where the energy seemed to be and so brett and wendy and their daughter arki decided that's where they had to go so they got this harkness and they went to new york and 1967 68 makes the divisions of the current age look um, uh, quite mild in comparison um, and so it was all happening and he was appalled and attracted by the extremes of America at the same time um, and when he arrived there he was represented by a gallery called the Marlborough Gallery the Marlborough Gerson in New York and they looked after Rothko um francis bacon and others there were heavyweights um so brett really had it all laid out in front of him he was in new york he was staying at, um on the penthouse of the chelsea um he was a, a you know, brash opinionated unique australian um who's who had the real backing of the artistic establishment in new york um, and he had a show it was reasonably successful but then he embarked on um A singular painting that he thought would change, he was hoping would change America and quite literally wake itself up to itself, wake the country up to itself. Um, Outside the Chelsea Hotel this sort of ambition seems pretty out there but inside the idea of art being harnessed to change the world didn't seem so radical and so Brett more or less devoted a year of his time to this um, multi-panelled artwork that would shake things up um and there's this letter from wendy back to her mother i think at the time saying oh i just can't wait for americans to see this when they see it it's going to blow their mind and um of course when they saw it it, they it had a different reaction um brett just said i can't do anything with this it's it's an extraordinary painting it's in it's in perth not on display and part of the reason for that is that it's it has a red flashing light a siren um it's not very conducive to galleries um and it's this multi-panel work it's kind of heaven and earth and um everything in between and um brett described his process as uh he was drinking a lot and taking a lot of drugs at the time was really deranging himself he was he was um an devotee of rambo who's um obviously talked about derangement of the senses um, when it comes to creativity and so brett as he put it, wanted to go down to hell and report it back up through art, um, and he really kind of wrote himself off during that period. And when the um, when his dealers and everything said no, we can't. This, this is not this art not for us. Um, kind of felt like the gatekeepers of American culture were, uh, had stopped him, and so in the far end of the. Um, of the painting, there's a there's a Pacific scene, there's a beach, a mountain, there's a, on, on the top of the mountain there's a little house. It's their sort of dream Pacific idol. So Brett, later to be followed by Wendy and Aki, flew to that spot. It was in Fiji um, and kind of put the world behind him. And from Fiji, it was a little bit of a drug bus. A couple of months later they went to Sydney where they remained for the rest of their lives. Um, but it was at that point that his international career apart from a couple of attempts later on, really ended. So it was a pivotal time in that sense.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because even he admitted um, that painting represents failure.
1: Hmm. Um,
0: But, yeah, it seemed like a combination, the perfect storm of the work not being received and his further descent into mass addiction. Um, But it was interesting also looking at the criticisms from Australia on that work that were leveraged against it, that, you know, many people in Australia who had been champions... Of Brett's work, felt that it was a pretty underwhelming body of work. It's it's interesting because I was looking at pictures again last night. It's pretty pretty extraordinary. It's so visceral, but that's Brett's works. But it'd be I am curious about what the reception would be in today's world if um, in Perth they exhibited that again.
1: They, they showed it in Sydney a couple of years ago at the Pop Show. Um, it's very much a product of its time, mm. late sixties, oh, and um, so if you approach it in that way, I guess. But it's an extraordinary piece of work. It's um, not always great, but, you know, you can't ignore it.
0: Yeah, oh, I just want to talk about Wendy and I hope you don't think I'm being um, inappropriate saying this but there were many times in the book that I felt that this is a book about Wendy with bread in it um, and and the reason being, and I think it's kudos to you too, Ashley, that this is really one of the first times that we're getting a good sense of Wendy's pivotal role. You know, the word muse has been bandied about and I think it is very disingenuous when it comes to the pivotal role Wendy had as an established artist in her own right and I love the fact that you start off with her biographical family details as well in parallel with Brett's as equals so in in terms of your relationship with Wendy you've obviously got a really great rapport but you were very determined obviously to make sure that her role in this book was front and center that's the sense I get
1: yes I didn't want to overplay that as well Um, one of the challenges in doing a book like this is negotiating the people who still who are still alive and their their role in the story Um, what I mean by that is there are a number of close friends of Brett's who are no longer alive and not a lot of documentary material about them so I knew that Brett was friends with them I knew they were close but I don't have a lot to to grasp onto not a lot of stories about them At the same time, there are people, friends of his who are still alive who can tell me those stories, this time he went there, this time he went there. And so um, I can use all that stuff, but at the same time, I don't want to give this person um, more weight than they should have in the story simply because they're still alive and telling their own story. Um, So in that same sense, Wendy, um, she is uh I, I don't want that to sound like i'm overplaying her her role she is a pivotal figure in 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 brett's life she was an artist in her own right and as you said um, she has this incredible family history um anyone who's spent time in wa would know um her, her grandfather um cy o'connor uh, was the Fremantle um pipeline guy and uh, he there's a big statue of him there at the moment um he had a very Distinguished career until he rode out onto the beach on a horse and shot himself. Um, and his son was George Julius, who founded the CSIRO and invented the totalizer, almost by accident. Um, and uh, Wendy's aunt, in that, just to finish that picture, was this, uh, a lady called Kathleen O'Connor, who um, was a well-regarded artist who spent a lot of time in Paris. And from Wendy's point of view, she had this distinguished history of. Um, of of, uh, uh, engineers in her family but she really looked up to Kate O'Connor this exotic artist who'd spent time in Paris and spoke other languages Um, so so Wendy was very much a um, creative-minded person from the beginning and she was also an artist when she met Brett Um, very quickly after she met Brett she had given up her art Um, she consistently says she's there's no regrets there um, and her her life from that point was really um, one of, of advocacy and support for Brett and she was she she really helped him um, and helped his world and of course that continues to this day the they um i I don't want to paper over the the struggles towards the end of um, brett's life brett and wendy divorced and it was a very bitter one Um, anyone who came close to that cyclone can remember the um the the violence of it and but in in subsequent years you you might remember there was that court case which was a bit fraught um over the will and everything like that but in in recent years wendy has um taken on custodian a custodial role of, of brett's career and, and and life and work um and it's it, it's really quite remarkable and there's no one alive who who's has an eye for brett's work like she does and that was really shown in that that fakes case yeah. in melbourne a couple of years ago a couple of guys are accused of um found guilty of um, faking a couple of lies, and Wendy gave evidence saying they're just wrong um, and evidently she was believed because the jury convicted them. Or the jury found them guilty um, so so Wendy Wendy's role while not um, absolute like there, were, there was a lot of occasions when she wasn't there and um, especially in the later years when when they had split up and and Brett was with other people uh, in a more serious way um, uh, but, but her her role and, and in his story is is a very close one. And he said himself that so much of his art um, is just a, um, begins and ends with her.
0: How's her reception to the book been?
1: Look, reasonably positive. Um, it's not Wendy's book; it's my book. And to her great credit, she understood that from the beginning. She never. We, we weren't writing this book together. She was a source. She was a, a very important source, of course, um, and she was also a source who happens to have copyright control. Um, but we went writing this book together. I, At no point did I sit down and, and map out what I was doing. Of course, I, I would say I discovered this Harkness document, check it out, or I went to see Billy Connolly today. He was very cool and sends his love, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we had countless discussions about various... Points in their life, and she she was very you know, robust in her opinions about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the very beginning, when I stepped into this project, there was ne- this was never articulated formally in writing or anything. But she had a she stood back from the um, from the book itself, and um, she wouldn't say today that this is her book. It's not her book. It's my book. Um, she would write a different book. Um, other people who knew Brett would write different books, and in, indeed I encourage a lot of people to to do that because there 's so many stories to tell um, and w- from from the beginning I, I was always a little this tiny little niggle in the back of my mind. I wonder how this will play out at the end when I finish like will will this um, rumor of of Wendy Whiteley um, come true and th- there's there is a um, quite an unfortunate undeserved reputation i think she has in some quarters about being a quite a um you know i guess a, a robust personality um and i, I think i think that's quite unfair she she uh, you know puts her own opinion out there quite forcefully as she should uh, she she knows what she thinks and um but right towards the end the book was finished um i showed it to a number of people When you write a non-fiction book like this i you'd like to give it to a handful of people to to read um who knew various parts of the story well because you don't want to make silly errors Mm. when you're talking about coke when it should be pepsi and that sort of thing so i barry pierce was one of the readers the former head of australian art at the art gallery in new south wales um so a few people like that read it just to give small tonal suggestions or factual suggestions and Wendy of course was one of them because she was there for so much yeah. of this stuff um, and I thought what's gonna happen at this point um, And because it never been totally articulated um, her, her involvement
0: how'd you feel about that were you nervous
1: I was nervous so and I I'd given it to my publisher first so I want to make that very clear um, and so I left it at her place two weeks past Um, I felt that she was dragging her feet a little bit, which was a little, um, and the upshot of it though, is that she didn't ask for a single word to be changed. Um, she made a lot of suggestions. She, she said, this person should be there more. Um, she wanted it to be twice, three times as long, um, more stories, more people. Um, but her suggestions were, um, a couple of times there were, um, I'd made an error in a date or something like that, so she might be correcting that sort of thing. But she didn't ask me to excise, you know, an adjective, let alone anything, any stories or anything like that. And there stuff in there that's quite unflattering towards Brett and her, um, as in um, descriptions of how they were when they were high and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, it wasn't particularly pleasant. Um But I think to her great credit, she understood implicitly her role and what her role wasn't. Um, And if she had stepped in and said, you can't say this story, you can't put that person in, uh, I don't want you to use his girlfriend from the later years, um, I wouldn't be able to sit here and say what I've said. And I think that would devalue the entire project. Um, And that was never explicitly said, but I'm glad it was understood.
0: Yeah. Um, Is it true Wendy asked you if you liked Brett?
1: She did, yeah. I think, I mean, I don't, don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think what she was getting at was that it wasn't a, uh, it's not a particularly hagiographic book. I'm, I'm not calling him a genius the whole way through, and I'm acknowledging his failures. Um, so to that extent, she was kind of wondering, do I even like the guy? And um, um, I haven't really worked out the answer properly either, um, to, because to one ex- some extent, it's irrelevant. I, mm. He's dead. I never got to meet him. I'm fascinated by the guy. It, um, and it's
0: definitely true in a lot of the book though I mean I asked myself a question going I don't know if I like this guy right now like there's some, you know, it is it's, it's raw and y- you oscillate in opinion and, and again I didn't know him
1: well yeah and there, there, are, there are there are moments when he doesn't come across particularly well such as um, look to, to pick one of many um, he, there were, there were one of his neighbours at Lavender Bay had a teenage daughter um, and Brett was in his late 30s or something and he he there was a reasonably open relationship with brett and wendy brett um, had a lot of partners over the years wendy knew about a lot of them and brett had a conversation with this teenage girl's parents and said look she's going to be losing a virginity one day it might be the local postman it might as well be me um i don't know whether that came whether it actually happened but wendy was the one who told me that story so it was it was that open that that doesn't necessarily paint him in the best light but at the same time, and I think this is what really... it's the great alchemy of what makes anyone human, um, the, the complexity of, of, his, of his character. And a lot of the people who knew him, especially those who knew him well, spoke about his tenderness. Um, and that's something I tried to convey, and I'm not sure if I did enough, but to give an example, in 1980, his best friend, a, a sculptor called Joel Ellenberg, um, was dying from cancer. And so Brett, Wendy and Joel and a bunch of friends decided to go to Bali for his final days. He wanted to live it out there instead of a hospice in Sydney. And so they flew to Bali and um, once there, it was a very emotional time, of course, and um, Brett still got... He, he met new people. One of the... Um, one guy he met was a guy called Oog de Montalembert who was a... Uh, a French artist, actor, director of some kind who was blinded in an acid attack in a mugging in New York many years earlier and he wore a, a, an aluminium band across his eyes, um, kind of a, a gesture of defiance. And he was on a solo world tour, um, as you do when you're recently blinded. Um, and he he met Brett and um, Brett's first thing was to grab Oog's hand and put it on his head and said... I'm Brett Whiteley, meet me. And then they went down to the beach and he took Oogh's hand and with his voice, Brett described what they were seeing in the mountains and the the sand and the the water. And with his hand, he took Oog's and traced what they were seeing on the sand in front of them. Um, And this is only one of the things that came from Bali as well because while Brett was there, this was really a sort of a side moment. His friend was dying um, and... The only way that Brett knew how to really deal with that, I think, was to respond through art. And Brett um, made art about Joel Ellenberg dying a lot. And some people saw it as ghoulish, or but Brett was just responding in the only way he knew how. And so to this day, you have these sketches, which are occasionally on display at the Whiteley Studio in Surrey Hills. Um, these sketches of Joel in bed, slowly dying, um and you see the life passing through him and brett's um documented he's written the date as you do with any artwork but instead of saying 1980 he's written um june 4 1980 5 p.m and then the next one june 4 1980 6:30 p.m and you 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 see him documenting his friend's um death and it's in, incredibly touching. Um, it is.
0: It's a really beautifully moving chapter, and I'm really glad you talked about that because I think it's a really great counterpoint to what I talked about earlier. That there's these w- wonderful, tender, and and it seemed that that relationship with Joel, that that you know, best buddy simpatico, you know, that they had. I just, you know, you lament when you think about people passing away. What would they be doing now? Um, and I guess that leads to the question, if Brett were still alive, what would he be doing doing now? But that that thing if Joel had stayed alive, um, you know, that, that friendship and what what difference, if any, that may have made to Brett's life and his addiction and
1: but what it's would, crystal ball ballgame. Yeah, what, what would Brett be doing now? Um, I find it hard to imagine him as a John Olson character, this kind of um, senior benign elder who kind who, of who, who charms gallery directors around the country and um it's it's very hard for me to picture brett in that role um and i guess one of the reasons that he really is that he really struggled with his addiction throughout his life um and of course he never succeeded in that struggle wendy did and i think wendy has shown what it takes to survive this amount of time she's obviously given up heroin and concurrently she gave up alcohol because those guys used to drink a lot um brett's drink for what it's worth, was orange and whiskey, orange juice and whiskey. So it was guaranteed that no one else would steal his drink. Um, <laughs> but it's an old alcoholic trick, you know. It looks like you're drinking orange juice. Um, but so Wendy's given up heroin. She gave up alcohol. She gave up cigarettes. Um, the only vice she has in her world is coffee. And I think Brett would have had to have had an existence like that to to have survived. And he was a very extreme person. He 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 would have times of extreme sobriety, he would only drink, he, he called it a Perrier sobriety and only drink mineral water and go to the beach a lot. But then he'd, he'd fall back into the other world and um, the inability to imagine his creativity without um, without drugs is what ultimately killed him.
0: It's, it's interesting because Friday just gone, if Brett was still alive, he would have turned 78. And there's a really great... Um, quote that you took from the bulletin in 1985 where even he's surprised at that stage that he's still alive and he says i thought i'd be one of the quick ones so it seemed like a fait accompli that he he died at 53 the
1: same age as his dad and when he for those who don't know um he kind of overdosed in at the thorough beach motel in 1992 and when the cops came and with his body they said to tim storia one of brett's friends who'd gone down to identify the body they said normally we don't find drug addicts dying at this age they don't make it that long they die a long time before and incidentally you remember that in 1995 there was a retrospective of of, um brett's work it started at the art gallery new south wales and toured the country Um, Barry Pearce, who I mentioned earlier, the Head of Australian Art at the Art Gallery in New South Wales, he was running that um, retrospective. When he began at the um, gallery, when he took on that job, it was 1978. John Olson was kind of the guy that got in the job, or pushed him in the direction of it. And the trustees of the gallery said to Barry that one of his first tasks was to look into doing a retrospective of Brett Whiteley. And Barry was confused. He was this artist who was great, sure, but he was quite young. He was in his thirties. Why It's too early to do a retrospective of someone like that? Uh, that year, Brett had won the Archibald for the second time with um, with an artwork that, I've, uh, that gives the book its title, Art, Life and the Other Thing. Um, and it was a very public statement about addiction and he was trying to scare himself straight, he said. Uh, but here was a guy who was publicly very much struggling with an addiction to heroin. Um, in 1978, the trustees of the art gallery figured they didn't have much time.
0: Um, we're probably just going to wrap up shortly to, to throw to some questions. But I, I guess uh, the the notion and I don't want to tread too much on toes where, where biography is being discussed in your next session with the wonderful Gavin Fry uh, later this afternoon. But I guess in terms of writing, do you develop an attachment to your subject even though you, you don't know them? Uh, if you do, or how do you let the project go or is there something that stays with you? Does the presence of that subject matter and that person stay with you?
1: I, I, it's kind of a, I guess a cliche writing a biography that they... Yeah, it's almost like you're having an affair with the subject. Um, so I've shared my, my life and my world um, with Brett, and I guess more accurately, my partner has shared her life and her world with him. Um, and I would say it's pretty fair to say that she's a bit sick of him. Um, <laughs> Move on. And um, there was a good chunk of my life, and I can still do this when I, when, when I hear a date, 1982 May, I would instantly think, I could picture what Brett was doing pretty much around that time. Um, and that's starting to fade a little bit from my brain, fortunately. But um, my... Uh, if I can... As an indulgence, my, my son turned one this week, and he was... As Sarah mentioned, it was also Brett Whiteley's birthday this week, on April 7th on Friday. So a year and a bit ago, um, when my partner went into labour, it was April 6th. And she thought, oh, my God, (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be sharing something else with Brett Wiley. Uh, Fortunately, the labor didn't last that long, and he was born a day early. Um, So yes, (laughs) there was some distance.
0: Um, And I guess last question, but um, I guess what's next in the pipeline for you, Ashley? Um, And would you do biography again?
1: I would do a biography again, of course, if I could find a subject. And that's the problem with doing a biography of someone like Brett Whiteley. Where do you go from there? Um, I have another book in the very, very, very early stages of planning at the moment. I may as well say what it is. We're all friends here. We're all friends. Um, Kind of a biography of the Opera House. Um, And... um, but it's it's really hard to work out where to go and... um, there is we're currently in discussions to um, transforming the book into a film a feature film like you know fictionalized version um which will be an exciting sort of next stage but i think one of the great things about brett is is also one of the horrible things that like wait how how can you top that um how can you top someone like him mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of everything Like he he was it's a story about his time um the the time they lived in from the 1950s when um the real urge was to get out of Sydney where it felt like the biggest backworlder in the world um and then the experience of London in the 60s and then New York in the 60s and then the sort of the kind of the the creative um unfurling of Sydney and Australia in the 70s from the Whitlam days on um and then through the 80s when you had this um artist like Brett driving around in a BMW um, it's, I mean, it's it's a fascinating time, and I, I wish I was there to see it myself.
0: Well, congratulations! It's a fabulous book. Uh, ladies and gents, please um, join me in congratulating and thanking Ashley Wilson. <laughs> now we might throw to the floor for some questions. If anyone's got something to ask, there's a microphone just behind you, or you can project. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just project. To call it called
0: here. Black Totem. Black too. Totem,
1: but it's also called the Get Totem. The Totem, yeah. Um. It it's a um, that 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 particular artwork. There, there's a, a couple of different variants of it as well. Um, oh, that's the original. Oh yeah, that's, that's the original. The yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's um, it, he was. Brett saw the, the egg as a kind of a you know, symbol of life, I guess, and life and death, and um, he liked the, the idea of yin-yang in every, in every person. There's a, you know, the good and bad and that sort of thing. Um, and it kind of flows throughout his work. He, in the 60s, he did a series of pictures about John Christie, the, um, the serial killer in, in England, um, and he tried to humanise Christie and see the beauty in him in, in a way. Um, and that was the old kind of Zen 60s idea of yin yang. And um, and I think uh, it, it's an interesting kind of thread throughout his life. Um, that particular picture um, of that sculpture there, I think it's a difference to the one that came up here. Um, there was a show at the Whiteley studio, the, the one that currently exists. Brett lived there in the late 80s, um, and a lot of people were drinking. Um, Robert Adamson, the poet, um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, I may have written it, um, he he drank then um, and he got pretty pissed and there was a lot of dancing and knocked over the sculpture. Um, and to the, what I mean is knocked over the egg. Um, and it fell to the ground and the party very, very quickly came to an end. Um, and those those parties, though, were legendary and um, the parties at Lavender Bay and the studio and everything, but I've gone off the subject, sorry. Um, the, uh, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually going and reacquainting myself around the corner.
0: It's beautiful work. We actually had the maquette of the work on display with Brett Whiteley show a number of years ago, which is fantastic, so, but we're delighted that we have that. One of only two sculptures um, in, in our presence, which is beautiful.
1: My initial attraction to Brett Whiteley, um, I got to know Brett... I got to know Wendy, I'm sorry, um, through a mutual friend, a journalist called Nicholas Rothwell. Um, he writes for The Australian. When, when I went to Darwin for the paper, I replaced Nicholas. He went to Iraq. And Nicholas had dated Aki, their daughter, um, in the 80s. and um, Nicholas had also got to know Wendy in treatment in, in England. That's how, how she met, how they met Aki. And that was a bit of a torrid affair, Nicholas and Arky. Um I mentioned to Sarah earlier that Brett often took Nicholas' side. Oh, those bloody white bloody women. Um, and, but whenever Nicholas was in town in Sydney, this is where I'm going with this, um, he would stay at Lavender Bay with Wendy. And being a friend of mine, I'd go and see Nicholas. And um, stepping into the house, I remember how intimidated I felt the first time. It was, um, you know, even if there wasn't the art, it was that view of across Sydney Harbour, but it was also like stepping inside of those famous Lavender Bay pictures from the 70s. And then in the corner, you have the very formidable presence of Wendy. Um, And so over a number of months, we got to know each other, and she kind of let her let it be known that she was open to someone like me coming into her world and kind of picking through the stories and going through her fridge and, you know, um, looking at this stuff. Um, I suppose someone like me, I, I'm from Sydney, all of my life the um, presence of Brett Whiteley was there. I, I grew up on the North Shore, the lower North Shore of Sydney where he grew up and one of my friends actually lives in the house that he grew up oh, in, wow. um, by coincidence. Um, he's always there and he's always part of the, um, sort of the the narrative of Sydney. and. One of the things I love is when you fly into Sydney when it when it banks over the harbour uh, and you get if you're on the right side of the plane you you get to see the harbour under you and when when you've got those sort of jets of white um, it, it looks like a a whitely. and in the in the same way that sort of the tra- the landscape bends to the art um, the the um, in the south coast in New South Wales Lloyd Ree is one of Brett's great heroes um, he painted a masterpiece called the road to Berry. and then when you drive on that road you look up and you see i i I don't see so much the road to Berry, i see his painting um and it feels the same with sydney that sydney almost bends to to brett's art um and so in that sense i was lucky to be there at the right time and it was ready to be done Well that's out the other half How do you convince people to give you stuff? (laughs) You smile and hope for the best. Um, Look, a lot of the time, um, this process of of writing this book, I I tapped into my journal journal skills, I think. I don't really have any others, so I guess I did. And I mentioned earlier that Harkness scholarship document I got, which was very simple to get if you know who to ask, and that sort of thing. And so in a broad sense, journalistic skills come into it. Um, I was fortunate and it was fortunate that I... um, that the vast, vast majority of people were um, happy to talk to me. There was only a handful of people who... two or three, I think, who who didn't talk to me and they weren't especially pivotal. Um, And they always... they all had the same reason, which was if Wendy's talking to you, I'm not. Look at nothing I could do about that, but um, the trade off there was if wendy 's talking to you, I am um, and you, the The challenge was just to sort of reach out to as many people as I could um, and i I was very conscious of being seen as writing wendy whiteley 's version of Brett uh, because she 's still alive she 's given me um, Copyright approval to use these images and these letters. She could have withheld that. Um, and so I, I was conscious of, of pushing back against that a little bit. Um, and because it, it's not really what anyone needs and it's not what Brett needs. Um, and one of the ways I sort of tried to put some distance between her and myself and Brett was. just to give a small example in the later years of brett's life he had a girlfriend a woman called janice spencer um and she a a lot of the sort of Whiteley friends said to me very cynically throughout the process oh you know i bet you don't even mention janice and blah 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 Um, so i flew to brisbane to see janice's brother janice died by the way in 2001 heroin overdose um but i spent as much time as I could talk into Janice's brother to... to really get her story into the... um, into the book and Janice wrote her own memoir. It was unpublished, but... um, her brother gave me a copy of it, which was pretty cool. Um, And it was called Tangled Up in Blue and I almost considered stealing the title. Um, I figured that would be bad taste, though. Um, And so... just really being able to kind of... Talk to people like him, her brother. I hoped was helping to give um, some depth to the story and not necessarily telling one side.
0: Right. Have we got any more questions? No. Well, we're ten fifty-six. So we might wrap it up, ladies and gents. Um, please, another round of applause for Ashley. Thank you very much.